every Monday to Friday. This is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning. This is Peter Lewis welcoming you to my podcast, Money Talk, for the final time in the year of the rabbit. It's Friday, the 9th of February. The year of the dragon starts tomorrow. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, China's consumer prices remained in deflationary territory for the fourth month running in January. The country's consumer price index fell 0.8% year on year, the biggest contraction since September 2009. Food prices dropped at a record pace of 5.9% last month, worsening from December's 3.7% fall. China's economy slipped into deflation in July and consumer prices have been flat or fallen in every month since then except August. China's PPI has been in decline for 16 consecutive months, falling 2.5% year-on-year in January, slightly better than December's 2.7% fall. The Reserve Bank of India held its benchmark policy repo rate at 6.5% for the sixth consecutive meeting yesterday, as widely expected. The language from RBI Governor Shekhi Kanta Das remained hawkish. He reaffirmed this commitment to bring down inflation to 4% in a timely and sustainable manner and said monetary policy must be disinflationary. Additionally, the central bank projected economic growth for the fiscal year 2025 at 7%, while inflation was forecast to be 4.5%. Earth has endured 12 months of temperatures 1.5 degrees centigrade hotter than the pre-industrial era for the first time on record, Europe's climate monitor said Thursday in what scientists called a warning to humanity. The extremes have continued into 2024. January was the hottest on record, the eighth month in a row of historic high monthly temperatures, with temperatures 1.66 centigrade warmer overall than the January average for the period from 1850 to 1900. That's the pre-industrial reference period. Hong Kong stocks declined on Thursday, the final full day of trading before the Lunar New Year break. And this year of the rabbit will rank as the worst on record since the Hang Seng Index's inception in 1969. The benchmark has lost 28% since the current lunar calendar began on January the 22nd last year. And the Shanghai Composite ended this year of the rabbit with a loss of 12%. That's the worst in history. On today's programme, I'm joined by Francis Lund, the CEO of GEO Securities, and Simon Cavender, partner at BDA Partners. And with a view from Australia is Toby Lawson, CEO at Staten Partners. And if you want to get in touch, please go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. On Wall Street's Thursday, US stocks rose marginally, with the S&P 500 briefly topping the 5,000 milestone for the first time on record. The broad-based index edged up under 0.1% to finish at 4,998, after touching as high as 5,000.40 heading into the close. The S&P 500 is up 4.8% so far in 2024. Chipmaker NVIDIA and Facebook owner Meta have led the market higher, each advancing more than 30% in the new year. 
The Dow rose 49 points, or 0.1%, to end at 38,726, its 11th record high of the year. And the Nasdaq Composite gained 0.2% to close at 15,794. One notable stock, shares in Arm, rocketed by almost 48% on Thursday after it joined the list of companies to benefit from AI. The UK chip designer, which is listed in New York, reported higher royalty and licensing revenue, boosted by strong AI demand. The yield on the US 10-year Treasury notes rebounded seven basis points to 4.17% after the Treasury's sale of $25 billion of new 30-year bonds, the biggest in two years, and that met strong demand. The US dollar index rose marginally by 0.1% following better-than-expected US jobless claims data. The yen notably underperformed after dovish BOJ commentary suggesting the central bank wouldn't aggressively tighten its monetary policy. The dollar was 0.8% firmer against the yen at 149.3. The yuan was unchanged in Shanghai at 7.1965 renminbi. That was after China's CPI data for January came in beneath expectations. Gold ended the day unchanged at $2,034 an ounce. Crude oil futures prices rose for the fourth day in a row after Israel rejected a ceasefire proposal by Hamas. The Brent contract for April gained 3.1% to settle at $81.63 a barrel. And Hong Kong stocks declined on Thursday, the final full day of trading before the Lunar New Year break. The Hang Seng shed 204 points, or 1.3%, to 15,878. The tech index slid 0.7%. Alibaba, one of the Hang Seng's largest constituents experienced a sharp sell-off following a disappointing earnings announcement. Alibaba's shares closed more than 6% lower in Hong Kong. And on the mainland, the benchmark CSI rose 0.6%. And the Hang Seng projected to open uh, sharply lower this morning, about 190 points lower at 15,690, according to futures markets. And you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. For the final time in the year of the rabbit, we welcome our regular Friday morning guest, Francis Lunn, the CEO of Geo Securities. Morning, Francis. Hi, good morning. Are you pleased to see the back of the year of the rabbit? Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> uh, it hasn't been a good year. The uh, Hong, Kong, Hong Kong Exchange led the world <laughs> in decline. <laughs> yes, we'll get on to that in a moment then. First of all, let's welcome, though, before that, Simon Cavender, who is partner at BDA Partners. Morning to you, Simon. Morning, Peter. Um, let's start with the economy. China's consumer prices fell at the fastest rate in 15 years in January. The country's consumer price index fell 0.8% year on year. That was the fourth straight month of declines, the biggest contraction also since September 2009. The fall was steeper than a half a percent drop forecast by economists and a third of a percent decline that we saw in December Food prices dropped at a record pace of 5.9% last month, worsening from December's 3.7% fall. And food inflation has been in negative territory for seven consecutive months. Core consumer prices, which exclude prices of food and energy, 
increased by 0.4% year on year in January, but that's the softest rise since last June after a 0.6% gain in the prior three months. And the producer price index, that dropped by 2.5% year on year in January, slightly better than December's 2.7% fall. And in 2023, producer prices fell 3% overall, swinging from a 4.1% gain in 2022. And China's PPI has been in decline for 16 consecutive months now. Um, Francis, how serious a problem is, is deflation in China, do you think? <laughs> well, the, the deflation uh, uh, in January is mainly due to food prices. Uh, food prices have been declining for four months already, so which has uh, driven the uh, CPI into negative negative territory. But uh, it also underscores another important uh, matter in the economy is that is uh, there's a lack of demand the economy is not growing and mm. people are not, uh, cons- uh, buying and spending no consumption i think uh, uh, I, I think that the uh, three legs of the economy uh, manufacturing export uh, uh, real estate and consumption uh, real estate and consumption are not doing their job so mm. which means that uh, Chinese economy is is not doing well, and in turn, the Chinese uh, stock markets, including the Hong Kong markets, are not doing well at all. In fact, they are the worst performing in the world, uh, unless something changes uh, uh, to boost consumption. I think uh, the Chinese economy we still remain. In the doldrums, I think that is the uh, uh, um, uh, uh, my pessimistic prediction for the year of the dragon. Mm. Is the stock market slump making the deflationary environment worse? Yes. Well, uh, people generally spend more when they make money in the stock market, or their home prices, the property prices rises, and these two markets have been doing very poorly the past few years. So. Uh, nobody's willing to spend any money. Uh, you you see the effect in Hong Kong. People are going to Samjan to spend mm. less money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hong Kong because Hong Kong Hong Kong restaurants are one hundred percent more expensive than the uh, 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 Samjan ones. <laughs> Um, Simon, we're told not to worry um, month after month. In fact, we're told that this is a temporary phenomenon, particularly on the food prices side, that that's going to rebound. But nevertheless, month after month, we seem to be in deflation. So is this deflation um, becoming entrenched? Well, it was interesting. I mean, you look at the headline on the official Chinese government websites and they don't actually um, they leave the year on year comparisons. towards the end, and they just focus on the month on month, which makes it look a little more positive. Mm. Um, I mean, I'd the, the CPI inflation, um, the consumer um, aspect, I think is is quite volatile. And it has been, as Francis mentioned, dragged down by food prices and pork prices are down 18% sort of year on year. Um, but, and there's sort of massive oversupply there, which again was sort of government intervention, which has re- resulted in that. So. Um, and then Chinese New Year last year was in January this year. It's in February. All these aspects, and we were coming out of COVID, um, 
sort of 12 months ago. So I think the consumer price data is quite volatile and not necessarily a true reflection. It'll be interesting to see how it comes out in the next couple of months. I'm much more concerned with the PPI numbers, um, the, the actual manufacturing index. That 16-month decline is worrying for the economy. Um, it just continues to show that China, which is um, still very much manufacturing um, and export-led, is incredibly weak. Um, and there will be small businesses that um, continue to close and they're losing volumes and um, they will shed jobs. Mm. And um, I mean, the only silver lining is with uh, manufacturing prices coming down in China. Um, Perhaps that'll help reduce sort of inflation outside of China. So the sort of the import inflation that might be experienced in um, Europe and the US will be decreased because um, they're able to purchase components and goods from China um, for less. But it, it doesn't tell a very good story for China, certainly. And how do we get out of this? Because it's wherever you look at the data, the PPI, the CPI, um, services prices um, are weakening as well. How how do we get out of this? That is very difficult. Um, and so there's been a lot of commentary on whether or not uh, Beijing is going to pull out the big guns like it sort of did in 2015, particularly to address the stock market decline that we had back then. But that was a very sort of short, sharp shock. Mm. Um, and the consensus is that Beijing is not is going to continue to sort of tinker around the edges as it's been doing, and there's a lot of tinkering. Um, they'll change things here, put restrictions there, particularly around the stock market. They're trying to prop up the uh, real estate companies, but these are kind of addressing the symptoms rather than the illness. Um, and there needs to be some sort of systematic changes. My honest view is actually you've got to sort of be follow, I mean, the US is not perfect, but you've got to follow the US model of essentially transparency, let everything work its way out of the system as quickly as possible. Um, it is painful, but then you bounce back far stronger. Um, but I feel that we're going to have this managed downturn and it's going to drag on for, unfortunately, several years. So I'm not seeing any silver lining at the moment. So this will become like Japan's balance sheet type uh, recession that we saw, wasn't it, at the, uh, the beginning of the 90s in that case. If it's going to go on month after month, year after year, um, that's going to be a problem. Yes, it will. Um, and uh, even sort of not just the Japanese comparison, but the real estate crisis that Europe had a few years ago. And um, originally I'm from Ireland, so I um, saw that firsthand and it was long drawn out painful they tried to prop everything up very similar to what they're doing in china um, and it kind of just really made the set situation worse and the problem is that it drags out negative consumer sentiment which is really what is a big underpinning of the problem in china no one's got anything positive to say and as they all go back for chinese new year now and sit down with their families i don't think people are going to be sharing positive stories and um the general sense of malaise and kind of disappointment and um lack of enthusiasm for the year of the dragon i think is going to become pervasive 
Mm. Francis, is this um, going to have global impacts um, in, in terms of China exporting their deflation around the, the world? Because obviously, um, you get these cheaper goods from China um, sort of going into other countries. Uh, so other countries are going to get a sort of a flood of cut price um, imports, aren't they? So, so is this going to spread? Well, uh, well, actually, China has been doing this for the past 20 years, ever ever since uh, 2001, when China joined the WTO. Mm. Uh, if Chinese manufactured goods have conquered the world, the latest Chinese product to conquer the world is the electric vehicle. Uh, uh, China exported uh, more than 5 million uh, EVs uh, to the world in 2023. And chances are the, uh, the export of EV will continue uh, by a substantial margin. Uh, it was uh, held back because the U.S. Uh, banned the import of uh, Chinese EVs. Otherwise, uh, Chinese export will increase even more. So that really showcased one of the bright spots in the Chinese economy. You have to find something that you do well and then you outcompete with everybody else, like the EVs in this case. But then the uh, flip side of, of, of this is that uh, the rest of the world is going, uh, are going to gang up on you, like uh, mm. like EU and 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 the US. They they even banned the uh, import of uh, Chinese make batteries. <laughs> uh, so so it's a tough world. Uh, 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 nothing is easy. Yeah. So what, how do we get consumers to, to start sort of spending again? Because, you know, the problem is they're going to think, well, things are going to be cheaper in a few months time. I'll, I'll wait. How do you get uh, how do you get consumers to start spending? I, I, I think the key is really to, is the uh, real estate market. Uh, be, because there are so many what you call the empty flats, the the the, the developers who fail to uh, complete the <laughs> the flats and and deliver the 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 flats to the consumers, and that is why the government's uh, number one priority is uh, uh, make the uh, uh, developers complete the uh, the pre-sold flats uh, to the consumers. <laughs> And 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 let them let them uh, take possession of the flats. Uh, once they done it, uh, and they 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 won't spend money on the, uh, on flats that will never be delivered. Then then they will say, then they will have some money to spend. They will buy electrical uh, compliance uh, appliances and also furniture. So. I think that is the uh, one of the ways, one of the most important ways to boost demand. I think uh, the government should really do much more to uh, bail out the property market. Simon, so, this has all sorts of impacts, doesn't it, really? Because um, it can mean income growth is going to slow, so it's going to be harder for consumers to service their debts. Workers are going to get lower paid jobs, um, and maybe salaries are, are going to fall for some new hires. And also corporate profits, they, they will slide as well, unless the Chinese government finds a way of dealing with this. So there, there could be some quite widespread implications, couldn't there? Yes. <clears throat> I mean, everything sort of trickles out through the whole economy and they need to start fixing things both <clears throat> psychologically in terms of market sentiment but also actually on the ground clearing up some of the i mean the excessive debts 
um, relaxing some of the restrictions on the stock market, giving consumers alternatives to investing rather than just chasing capital gains in the stock market or in the property sector. Um, so all of those reforms um, need to take place. Mm. And we've got then the two sessions um, coming up. That's really going to be the next big sort of economic event, isn't it? We're not going to get any economic activity data in February. So the two sessions comes in early March, where presumably we are going to see a GDP growth target um, and, and some economic uh, sort of priorities. What sort of things do, do you think investors would like to see coming from that? I think uh, people will 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 look for uh, uh, ways that the government uh, will do to somehow to boost the economy. Actually, uh, 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 Chairman Xi was under pressure from the party elders saying that uh, he has done a poor, very poor job in the economy. So, uh, number one priority is really get. The uh, 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 spend some money, uh, give people some money to spend to to boost economic growth, and then try to save the property market and then the manufacturing sector too. So, uh, uh, so, so it will be the centerpiece of the uh, the two sessions, the uh, uh, for for the national congress of uh, deputies. Simon, what would you like to see from the uh, from the two sessions? What do you think investors would like to see? I think it's it's really a switch back from his historically for the last ten plus years or so, the government's been very focused on growth, and that was really it. It was growth, and then everything will come out of that. The last few years that has switched as we've seen the sort of crackdown on some of the corporations and things, and it's more. Beijing has been more focused on kind of stability and control. And I think what people will be looking for is that switch back to growth, um, that there needs to be some freedoms and there needs to be some encouragement and there needs to be some investment. And they're taking big decisions to clean up some of the bad debts so that the banks are able to extend um, more credit. The local governments, um, who I think are incredibly heavily debt laden, um, receive some kind of bailout so that they can again at a local level um, start to invest and steering away from uh, there has to be a deleveraging from the property sector and it's still contributing 20% to GDP when you include all the ancillary uh, bits and there has to be a shift um, there and so that's what I I'm, I would hope to see in March is a very clear statement that they understand the state of the economy is weak and needs to be fixed at all levels and that they will fix it and that um, that becomes the priority again. The, the, the priority, though, so far seems to be in sort of peripheral issues, doesn't it? Like trying to support the stock market and come up with bailout funds for it, but it doesn't really get to the heart of the underlying economic problem. Exactly. And that's what they need to admit to themselves and fix their kind of national team, which is propping up the... CSI 100, but completely ignoring all the smaller companies, um, for example. It's just not getting to the root of the problems. Um, Francis, let's talk about the markets. The big news of yeah. the week, of course, is the, the firing of the head of the CSRC, Yi Human, um, <laughs> and his job has been taken over by the broker butcher, um, Mr. Wu, Wu Qing, um, who is a veteran banker. Um, what signal is this sending out? What, what do you think this is going to do for the markets? 
Well, that means the government won results. Uh, once the uh, Shanghai Composite fell below 3,000, it, it, it is like the sky falling down. <laughs> they, they always mentioned uh, for the past five years that the, the uh, 3,000 is the iron bottom. It will never be, uh, be broken, but then it has fallen to 26. Uh, uh, 2,600. So, so uh, Mr. Yi complete, uh, uh, committed the cardinal sin for, for failing to prop the stock market. So uh, the the government, the central government, wants somebody who, who can uh, uh, boost the stock market and stop the rot in the stock market. But that is really going to be difficult because as we see, the big techs have stopped growing like Alibaba's profit fell slightly but then its share price lost by six percent mm. so how can you boost the stock market when the earnings are going down that is the that is a mission impossible so is this going to be now the criteria for the regulator the CSRC are, are they going to be judged on whether or not they get the stock market up yeah I think so unfortunately uh, this is a, this is the same same criteria for the Hong Kong exchanges. We are going to get a new uh, CEO. I think partly because the uh, the Hang Seng Index have been doing so poorly in this past four years. Um, Simon, what what do you make of this? It's it's not really the role, is it, of the regulator to get the stock market up? But it, it seems to be that seems to be what they're being tasked with at the moment. Yes, and I think, I mean. Good luck to Wu Qing as he comes into his new job and find he's been in charge of the Shanghai Stock Exchange before and he knows exactly, I think, what he's getting himself into. But I'm not sure he's going to have the levers um, at the CSRC to to do kind of what needs to be done in terms of the fundamental reforms. Um, it is notable, however, that the last two times they've changed the head of the CSRC, the stock market has um, rallied quite significantly afterwards. Um, I've absolutely no idea why that correlation should be there. Mm. I suspect people will be hoping um, that it'll be sort of third time's a charm and um, it'll keep going. But yes, um, I, I, I mean, the, the previous guy, obviously the performance under him, it wasn't necessarily his fault, but I can fully understand why they felt the need to make a change. Mm, but if, if you sort of, if, if you try and get the, the the regulator sort of intervening in the in the markets, it sort of doesn't really get long term investors back in, does it? Because they will they will sort of look at this and think, well, uh, the, whilst I might be weaned back in, I might not be able to get out again either. This is really becoming a very uh, manipulated market. Yes, and that's that's the thing. I mean. It's quite easy for China to look around the world and see free, open, transparent um, stock markets driven by market forces. Um, so they can they can see what can be done. They, at the moment, are still tinkering with restrictions on can you sell, can't you sell, where are the fund flows, holding periods. Um, we're hearing stories of people that have large blocks of shares looking to exit and being told quietly that they're not allowed to um, or that it'll be frowned upon. And so the restrictions that are placed on investors are significant. And that just takes away from their appetite when, particularly for the 
large international funds, they have alternatives. So everyone is really saying uh, sort of there are better things to do with our money at the moment than invest in China at this point in time. And hopefully it'll change and the regime will relax. But until it does, we'll just look elsewhere. I mean, ultimately, hasn't China got to do what every other market has to do? for the stock market to, to work um, and, and go up. Um, you need to have corporate earnings being generated and a portion of those earnings being returned to shareholders, whether it be in the form of dividends or, or buybacks. Um, is that what we need to see in China as well? Yes, I think so. I mean, long term, we need to move away or we need to have a mix. It's still very much capital gains led um, and we need to have a mix of kind of earnings and people accepting that slower growth is fine and we don't necessarily need to jump um, 10, 20% every year in our share price. But if you're getting good dividends and you've got a stable company and there is less volatility, then that is valuable as well. Francis, where, where do you think the market goes from here? Obviously, now we're going to have a break uh, for a week or so, <laughs> six days. So um, time for things to calm down. Um, where do you think it's looking for the beginning of the year of the dragon? I, I think uh, I think the market is going to go down. You you look at the opposite, the U.S. market, uh, S and P just broke through five thousand. I think that the the driving force for the bull market in the U.S. Uh, uh, it, uh, has been the uh, uh, earnings of the big techs, uh, like uh, Meta and Nvidia and things like uh, and companies like that. So. Uh, when when the companies earn more money, they will their stock market will rise and they will boost the uh, stock market. But but when you look at the uh, Alibaba and, uh, <laughs> and and other big techs like that, like Tencent, they uh, they are not growing. The profits not growing. So mm. you what, what is the actually the share price falling? Even though uh, Alibaba share price falling to like the ten. PE fallen to 10 levels, still people are selling, not buying. And if you don't create an environment that the, the uh, big companies can make money, how can you how can you boost the stock market? I think that is a problem. I think uh, the Chinese government must give some space for the private enterprises to grow, mm. to prosper in the economy, not to try to control everything. And if you do, if you try to control everything, you will just kill off the private economy. But if if you look at uh, what well, we saw, Alibaba's results, didn't we? There, they they disappointed um, investors. So even the big companies um, are struggling at the moment in this um, environment. And it seems that the the only real volume um, is is coming from the national team. Yeah, there's there's a problem. Uh, there's an artificial boost, not. not 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 really not, not really the solution. The solution is to allow the private companies to prosper, to make money, and create a friendly environment for them, not to kill kill them off. Actually, from uh, two thousand to to twenty twenty, the government has been doing that. But then in twenty twenty, they discovered that uh, Alibaba have grown so big that they rival the central government. So they make make a determined effort to string it down. But then what you see is history. Uh, ever since 2020, the stock market keep falling. 
Simon, well, so, going going forward, um, how much is how much of the, is this a problem? Do you think for China's government, the fact that they've taken this drastic step with the CSRC um, tends to suggest that um, the the government takes this seriously and sees this as a big problem? Yeah, I think. I mean, but with the, the big tech companies, and it'll be the same in the US as it is with sort of Alibaba and Tencent. They'll. They grow incredibly well um, for a period of time, and that can be a decade or two. Um, but at some point, they will peak, um, mm-hmm. and then the valuation expectations need to be repriced and sort of reset. And they'll either stagnate or they'll um, drop, and they'll turn into more mature companies with lower growth rates. And kind of that's that's fine. It's um, just all part of the life cycle. And they'll start paying dividends and they'll do buybacks rather than spending on growth. And it takes a little while for the investors that have been in there, that have been just riding this growth um, for many, many years to accept that essentially the company has changed and therefore their expectations should change. And it'll take place with, I mean, NVIDIA has had a great run, but that's not going to continue forever. Same with mm. Tesla. Microsoft was in the doldrums for years and years after its initial growth. And then it's only recently that it started um, becoming a star again. So I'm not I'm not overly worried about the performance of the individual companies. Um, I think that's just company specific I, I do wish that they were free to kind of do what they wanted to do um fine within the scope of competition and monopolies and things you can keep an eye on them from that point of view but again meddling in meddling in the affairs of corporates and their day-to-day operations is is not helpful. And is that is that the main thing that's putting foreign investors off the fact that um, you know Beijing really has got this command style economy where it has you know representatives on the boards of every major company um, and and the whole point of companies on the mainland is to really serve you know the the the, the wishes of the communist party is that one of the main things putting foreign investors off? Yes. It's the uncertainty. And I mean, you see it even now with the IPO for Shine, I think that's how it's pronounced, yep. um, in in the US and fine, Singaporean company, no revenues coming out of China. Fine, there's a lot of manufacturing there. But still, because Chinese founder, um, they feel they need to go back to Beijing and get kind of tacit approval to do their IPO in the US. And it's this very long arm of Beijing or shadow, I suppose you could call it, that hovers over everything that is Chinese sort of related. Um, And that is a deterrent because, again, we always see the interference and the interference is never positive. That's the problem. so it, it doesn't help investor sentiment. No. And it comes out of the blue, doesn't it? As we saw with the tech crackdown, with the crackdown on um, the, the online education companies, the private education companies, it just seems to come very suddenly without warning, without any consultation. Yes. And people lose millions of dollars as a result. And it's um, happened too many times now. and Everyone is becoming wary. Mm. Francis, just a final thought. I mean, if you look at... Um, the Hang Seng Index, I mean, it's trading at very low forward price yeah. to earnings multiples. Does that tempt you at all? No, no. I, th- I think uh, the uh, Chinese economy is entering a uh, like a, a Japan period 
where the population is in, in decline and then the economy is not growing. Mm. So uh, the only bright spot right now is the EV uh, uh, sector. I think you have to find a, a, a few more of these uh, bright spots to really boost the economy. I think the uh, government can do much better if they loosen the reins, try not to intervene in the market that much, but that is very difficult for the Communist Party. <laughs> I don't think they will listen to this. Okay. Well, thank you both very much for your thoughts and all your contributions to Money Talk over the Year of the Rabbit. And we look forward to speaking to you um, in the Year of the Dragon. Wish you both a very happy uh, New Year. You heard there Francis Lun, who is the CEO of GEO Securities, and Simon Kavanagh, who is a partner at BDA Partners. I'm joined now by Toby Lawson, who is the CEO of Staten Partners down in Sydney, Australia. Morning, Toby. Good morning, Peter. Australia's central bank met uh, this week, left interest rates on hold, which I think was pretty much um, in line with expectations, but uh, did cut its growth forecasts, I think, didn't it, for uh, for the economy? So what are they saying? Yeah, uh, the, the governor was interesting because they've changed policy on the Reserve Bank um, to meet six times a year. They're sort of aligning with what the Federal Reserve do, so where they have less meetings but longer, two-day meetings and a press conference. So the press conference, which was held after Tuesday's meeting where rates were kept on hold, really talked about the balance of risks. And as opposed to most central banks saying that interest rates have peaked, our Reserve Bank governor was clear to say, well, look, we're not quite sure. We're not convinced uh, that uh, we're out of the, you know, the, the, the battle's been won. And so the balance of risk is both could go up, could go down. And um, with, a, with an inflation rate, albeit improving, still with a four-handle, over four percent, it's not good enough from uh, from a Reserve Bank perspective. It's sufficient for them to say that um, they'll be pivoting towards lower rates down the track. So that was the main message, and I think that's the market was you know was possibly a little disappointed. Um, and uh, you know the grilling that the Reserve Bank governor got on that particular topic was quite long and arduous. I think. Mm. So is she saying then that there is still a realistic chance that rates could still go up in Australia when they do seem to be peaking everywhere else in the world, don't they? At least if they're not coming down yet. Um, the, the, certainly the message seems to be from uh, the Fed and the ECB and the Bank of England that uh, they're not going to go up for, further from here. Yeah, so it's slightly different from our Reserve Bank in so much as uh, they're trying to navigate that narrow path to slow inflation not destroy the economy. Um, you know, clearly there's been progress and there is a trend towards lower inflation, but Australia's uh, inflation still in the 4% plus mark, despite the declines. And if the target, which is the official target, is the mid-range of 2 to 3% for inflation, then they've got a fair way to go. And that was the acknowledgement that the Reserve Bank Governor was saying, is, you know, we don't want to get to a situation where we start to, to cut rates before we've won the battle. And uh, so I think they're really trying to pour cold water on the expectation that there'll be lower rates soon. And in fact, did not rule out, albeit unlikely, did not rule out that there was a potential for a, a hike if inflation spikes again. So I thought it was, you know, it was quite significant difference from what you've heard from the Fed and the Europeans recently. And is the, the rates at 4.35%, what's that doing for the economy? Is it holding back at all the, the economy or slowing the economy? How, how's the economy doing? 
Yeah, I think the, the, the economy is slowing, but you know, as you've found with the US, it, you know, the labour market is still pretty tight. So mm. the consumer is still in pretty good shape. Um, you know, retail sales have softened. Uh, manufacturing has softened. I mean, nothing unusual in what we're seeing in relation to the interest rates uh, being at four, four and, 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 and a third um, and likely to continue to soften the economy. But there's no indication yet that the economy is, you know, heading into recession. Um, you know, house prices are still fairly well elevated and that pressure is still on because structurally undersupplied in Australia is housing. So, you know, a couple of factors mean for Australia, the Reserve Bank's probably more patient and unlikely to move as aggressively as other countries in relation to pivoting on interest rate or restrictive monetary policy. And um, how are the Australian markets doing? They hit a, an all-time high, didn't they, uh, about a week or so ago? Yeah, and, you know, in line with what you've seen in the US and, you know, we tend to follow, um, and not completely in line, but uh, we tend to, to follow the lead off the US. Um, yeah, uh, stock prices in Australia have moved pretty well. I think uh, interest rates uh, have moved in line in terms of the bond market. Um, the outlook for commodity prices is always the one thing that would be a, a potential red flag, and that's China. If China cannot, you know, get that velocity it wants in its economy, uh, that potentially has a downstream impact on commodity prices. And if that's, you know, if that uh, flows through, that would have the most impact, I guess, on sentiment in Australia, given that, uh, you know, our reliance upon selling iron ore and coal to the likes of China. So the RBA must be watching closely what's going on in, in China, and particularly the deflationary picture. We had the uh, the inflation numbers out yesterday, which shows that China seems to be sliding further into deflation. And if anything, it, it seems to be getting um, rather entrenched. I mean, that could have um, implications for Australia and, and the whole region, because there's the risk that that sort of de- deflation could get exported. Well, I think that's, that's true, which probably from a from a central bank perspective, it's not a bad thing to have some some deflation um, imported into the, uh, the economy. I think from an Australian perspective, it's all about growth in China because uh, they consume a large part of the raw materials that we sell to them. Uh, and possibly with those type of numbers that you're seeing out of China, that the government may be more inclined to be aggressive in stimulus, more inclined to put some more money to work, um, which we haven't yet seen. So whether... Inflation can be um, can be reversed. I don't think so. Maybe slowed in China, but uh, from an Australian perspective, it's really you know outlook for growth. Um, you know what's the activity levels in China vis-a-vis the demand for goods and services, which has a direct impact on our economy. And what about in the US? Um, the S and P five hundred it crossed that five thousand benchmark, albeit just by a slither, I think about by half a point, and only for a few seconds before it fell back. But nevertheless, um, it, it's making new um, record highs. And once again, it seems to be the tech sector um, that, that's driving this. Yeah, and I mean, you, you know, you've, you've got a print above 5,000. I think it was inevitable that someone was going to pay that for, for historical reasons. And I think the 4,000 mark was hit in April 2021. So it's moved quite substantially and quite quickly to a new record high. Um, again, um, the mega tech um, uh, has been the driver of most of the growth in, in in the indices over the past couple of years, or at least the last year, and continues to be the case. And the results coming out from a corporate perspective 
sort of support some of the the pricing in relation to those stocks. So, I mean, Disney yesterday had its one of its best um, uh, uh, moves in 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 three years, around eleven and a half percent on its stock after it produced not only good earnings but also good forecast. Mm. So, on that basis, the tech sector is an interesting one to discuss in relation to, you know, um, I guess the productivity story and can the, you know, the no landing story, what's driving the economy is, are we seeing a fundamental shift in in measurement around productivity and about growth because of AI and because of technology? And I guess that discussion's sort of starting to emerge that there's a huge benefit coming through from from this new tech. And you you do see that when you look into this data, although we had the jobs data, which you know wildly beat um, expectations, we had the services PMI number um, beat. Then at the same time, you hear other things like the amount of layoffs is going up. You know, quite quite fast. You're hearing companies, you know, even in the tech sector, announcing layoffs on a daily basis. We had uh, that data about. Um, the amount of uh, credit card delinquencies hit it, hitting a record high, which suggests that, um, you know, although the consumer has been spending, is sort of tapping himself out on his, his credit card. There do seem to be worries underneath the surface, but nevertheless, they just don't seem to be big enough to, to stop this rally. Yeah, and we saw, we saw also with New York Community Bank Corp, you know, results of that regional banking crisis elevated a little bit of concern last week. Um, so yeah, I think there are definitely uh, some warning flags um, uh, in the U.S. economy. Um, the manufacturing data, in particular, was probably you know showing a continued under uh, contraction. But uh, yeah, overall, I think um, you know if you talk to the to the analysts, um, you know the economy is still outperforming. The labour market, even as you mentioned, has seen some some reasonably notable job losses, is still tight. Um, yeah, uh, right now it's hard to, to be too negative. Having said that, you know, being a, being a cautionary investor, you'd probably be starting to think, do I start to take something off the table? Mm. Um, right now I think, um, you know, most, most people would say, look, I'd love to see it come back 10% so I could buy it. Um, but, uh, that's only because the market's going up and they've missed the boat potentially. I'm, I think we're suspecting, at least in our view, that there is a correction coming. We just don't know when and how. Um, and uh, uh, whilst you're still seeing good data, it's hard to it's hard to ignore. And I suppose the problem is also as an investor, if you take some bets off the table in the US, where do you go instead? Yeah, well, you can you can flip on asset allocation, I guess, and and put more into um, duration around bonds and take advantage of of yields. That would be potentially, and I think there's been a fair bit of that. But actually, what you've got to remember as well, there's a hell of a lot of money sitting in cash, and mm. um, something in the order of six trillion. Mm. So you know, uh, the market hasn't overcommitted to the equity market. There's still a hell of a lot on the sidelines, and at some point, that might actually do the inverse. You know, where people are feeling like uh, they're missing out, they might actually chase stocks on a certain break of of levels. So you know, uh, we're all looking for the pullback, but Often in that situation where the, everyone's waiting, it just never happens. And then everyone's forced to come in at the higher prices. So let's see. It'll be an interesting time. Right now, I think the data is supportive. Um, the Fed are on hold. Um, the market's still feeling pretty good. And the tech sector's you know, driving the momentum.
Mm, I'm wondering if some of that money in cash has is, is been going into the, the treasury markets because um, we had that auction of 30-year bonds, $25 billion, the biggest auction in two years, and yet people snapped it up. It, it went pretty well. Mm. Um, so, you know, another fear that people had that maybe all this supply would start dragging down the market, that doesn't seem to have come to fruition either. No, there's a there's a hell of a lot of liquidity out there. Um, and, uh, you know, as I say, it's yet to be deployed. And some of it's going now into fixed income. Some of it's, uh, you know, still in the in the in the tech sector. The broader indices, you know, the S and P, which represents 500 listed stocks, is at record highs. Um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a difficult scenario to be too bearish. Um, but as soon as you say that, you start to look for <laughs> these reasons for it. So, uh, yeah, at this stage, I would say that on balance of probabilities, it's hard to be a seller. Right? Certainly not a short seller right now. Yeah, well, we'll see how things go in the Year of the Dragon, which kicks off uh, on Saturday. And look forward to talking yes, to you, Toby. Yes, Kung Hei Fat Choi yeah. to all the listeners, yes. Kung Hei Fat Choi to you too. Have a great uh, break. Have a happy Chinese New Year. That's Toby Lawson, who is the CEO of Staten Partners down in Sydney, Australia. You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Thank you for listening to Money Talk this morning. You can find more details about some of the topics I've been talking about today, along with information on other headlines and market moves in my daily newsletter. Take a look at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. This is the final show of the Year of the Rabbit. Money Talk will return after the Lunar New Year holidays next Thursday, the 15th of February. Joining me then will be Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory, and Hao Hong, Chief Economist at Grow Investment Group. And discussing the latest developments in your markets is Vandana Hari, founder of Vandu Insights. In the meantime, I wish you a very happy, healthy and successful Year of the Dragon. Have a great holiday. Money Talk.